public doesn't have the education or the training or the time to understand how to evaluate the scientific data. Uh, but the physicians should, but are also time constrained. So they rely on these professional groups that make these recommendations. And these are consensus committees typically. And it's not unusual for a consensus committee that supposedly reviews the uh, uh, data objectively and gives a recommendation to have the vast majority, maybe everyone on that committee have a conflict of interest and getting tens, if not hundreds of thousands, or even millions of dollars from the drug industry to that that is essentially manufacturing the drug they're recommending. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with board-certified family physician, Dr. Joseph McCullough. Dr. McCola is best known as the founder of health information website, McCola.com. He is an osteopathic physician, a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, and the author of many best-selling books. In 2009, he was named the top ultimate wellness game changer by the Huffington Post. Hi. I know you're all familiar with Dr. McCola and know that he's a true warrior spirit when it comes to informing people about how to protect themselves and stay healthy. In this podcast, Dr. McCola and I get deep into such key issues as why Google is a very dangerous stealth influence on your life and what you can do about it, why we need to be careful with large corporations, the dangers of EMF exposure, and Dr. McCola's new book on the topic in which he offers you a free chapter the benefits of time-restricted eating, and some of Dr. Mercola's favorite supplements and health tips. There's a lot of eye-opening information being shared in this interview, and I hope you enjoy being better informed so you can live well with me in 4D. Enjoy. All right. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check, everybody. I have got a very famous guest you'll most certainly all know of, and that's Dr. Mercola. And uh, Dr. Mercola, thank you very much for being with us today. Well, thanks for inviting me, Paul. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, and thank you. And so I just would like to say for everybody listening, I've been, you know, aware of Dr. Mercola's work for a very long time. Um, Back in around 2000, when I was doing all the research to write my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, uh, Dr. Mercola's site was one of the places I went to to find information on things like toxicity and uh, foods and packaging and all sorts of things that he was sharing about back then. Dr. Mercola, when did you first put your site up? Um, uh, before Google put theirs up. So 1997. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you've been around, you're, you're probably, I don't think there was really anybody out there uh, well, no, sharing. There were, no, there were definitely people out there. No question. Dr. Atkins was one of the big people and there was, there were dozens of health sites, natural health sites online. Okay. I just wasn't familiar with that many of them. I don't, I think I don't, I'm not, I don't remember how I found yours, but I'm glad I did. You've certainly informed millions of people. So uh, I'm excited to get into things. You know, Dr. Mercola, you've devoted a tremendous amount of time and research for many years into the issues we all need to be aware of for our own health. You've been censored by Google and my institute's been hacked and shut down multiple times. And so, you know, whenever we're talking about the kinds of things we talk about or vaccinations, um, then we start drawing attention, sometimes not the attention that we want. 
for reasons of uh, sharing and and also people trying to censor us. And uh, I know you've been researching the issues of Google and censorship, and uh, that certainly ties into freedom of speech and much more. Uh, what I'd love to hear today in, uh, to start our dialogue is, as I, as you and I talked about, I'd love to hear you know some of the key areas that you feel the public needs more awareness with regard to what's really going on due to corporate manipulation of people and society and issues like 5G and any of the other issues that you feel are really important for people for their general uh, well-being and overall health. So uh, feel free to roll into the uh, topics that you'd like to share. Well, sure. <clears throat> first of all, um, when Google first came out, I, I was deeply appreciated by most of us who were online because <clears throat> if you were online back then, you might remember that most all the search engines were pretty, pretty abysmal. And yes. uh, it was that you would, they would show you 10 search results, a very cluttered page full of ads. And then Google had all the ultimate simplicity, just a search <laughs> one box with no ads and really relevant results, which most of the other engines were challenged to find. So it was a real major advance because uh, the, the internet has existed. Many people may not be aware of this. Um, uh, since 1968, you know, it's when DARPA wow. first put it online, but most people weren't online back then because prior to the mid nineties, when the web was developed, worldwide web, which is a graphical user interface, the way that you communicated on the internet was through a, a DOS prompt, a command prompt. And, uh, it was monochrome and, you know, it was, you basically have to type things in. You couldn't click on anything. You'd have to type and give your, and, and, type in a command structure to get actions done. So um, it really didn't take off until the, the web was invented. Uh, and most people were, didn't understand or appreciate its potential, but very few people did back then. Uh, I was one of the early adopters and knew this would be huge and it would change his, history. And in, in my view, the internet is the greatest innovation in the history of mankind. Uh, and when Google first uh, started, they were great. Everyone loved them. I certainly did. And they were in stark contrast to the giant comparative mono uh, tech monopoly at the time, which was Microsoft, which was considered perniciously evil and probably by many, including myself still today, but not as bad as Google. So, uh, you know, Google was a refreshing alternative and was many people were cheering them on. Uh, and in fact, <clears throat> what's interesting is that in the, 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 Late 90s, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who are the founders of Google, they were students at Stanford, and they wrote a paper, uh, and the paper was called How Google is Stealing Your... No, wait. Um, the, 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 no, that's not the paper they wrote. Well, the, the reason that paper is important is because they understood and very clearly published, and I can't find the specific reference at this point, but when they published it in, in the late 90s, that they understood that when an online search engine is uh, relies on advertising, they ultimately are going to be serving their advertisers and not their end users. Yes. And that's precisely what happened more than a decade later, because initially they weren't doing that. They didn't have any ad revenue. It was kind of like my my website initially. I didn't sell anything on my site for four or five years. 
there was no model to generate revenue. And I realized that doesn't scale very well. <laughs> it wasn't really a prescription for, for uh, financial catastrophe and, uh, you know, or at least shutting it down. So um, ultimately, you have to have a form of revenue to keep the doors open. So they chose advertising. There's nothing wrong with advertising, but you, it does make you um, dependent upon the advertisers. And that's precisely what's happened. And yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. In June of last year, they had an algorithm that essentially eliminated almost all the major national health websites. I mean, we're just gone from from the the uh, their search engine. And why is this important? Well, it's important because Google is the largest monopoly in the history of the world. They capture at this point ninety two percent of all searches done on the internet. It is the term searching on the internet now is called Googling. Yes. So pervasive. So, you know, people just don't type in a search engine. They, I mean, cumulatively, they, they, it's two, three, four orders, four times more than all the other search engines combined. So they control it. They're dominant. And when you have this type of dominance and this type of monopoly, it's a threat to the very, uh, extension uh, or the very foundation of freedom and, and health and that we have in our, in our society and democracy and our basic liberties. Because when you have a monopoly, you concentrate wealth and power. And it's a, really a threat to almost everything that American, the freedoms that our ancestors fought so valiantly to obtain. So that's what they've done. They've created this massive monopoly and they did it slowly over time. And they've done a number of things. One is censoring. Uh, they also manipulate data. And they, they're, they're a surveillance company. <clears throat> and this is all done on the uh, premise of optimizing their bottom line revenues. So let me explain how that works. So when we are removed from the search engine, and I mean, we literally are gone. You can type in my name and like the, the copy and paste the title of an article I wrote, and it still won't come up on the internet. That's wild. Not on the internet, excuse me, on Google search engine. It comes up on other search engines, and we'll discuss some of the practical alternatives because this mm -hmm. is what I'm going to share with you is powerful information that very, very few people have. But it's not like, it's not for the, the intention of, this uh, exclaiming that the sky is falling, there are simple, practical strategies that you can use to protect yourself and your family from this invasion of your privacy and selling your, your, your and your family's personal data to third party customers uh, that are seeking to monopolize on it. So when they censor and remove not only my site, but other sites, that means that that information isn't displayed, which is a tragedy in itself, not because, uh, you know, I've got a big ego and I just really need to be out there. I mean, it was really quite interesting. You know, our site has been the most visited natural health site and still is, even though we're removed from Google for the last 17 years. Uh, but the, the, the reason why that's so important is that it gives people an option to understand that there's an alternative 
to the drug model that is being used to literally essentially fuel the biggest industry in the United States, which is healthcare. We're spending three and a half trillion dollars a year in healthcare. And we don't really have good results for that type of investments. We are not the leading country in the world with respect to health span or lifespan or disease mor morbidity, mortalities. You know, we're very far down on the list uh, in, in almost every health parameter, despite a three and a half trillion dollar investment. So uh, when, we're, when these sites are removed, telling people how to get back to the basics and how not to you rely on medications and figure out natural strategies that address the foundational causes of disease. The, they, our sites are replaced with primarily three websites. And you should write these down and check it out for yourself. What, all you have to do is go to Google and type in a health question, any health question you want. And I would almost guarantee you dimes to dollars that all three of these sites will come up. And you won't find any natural health sites at all. None. Zero. Nada. And most people don't realize that we've disappeared. The average person does not. It's all stealth. So the three sites are WebMD, Healthline, one word, and Medical News Today, one word. Now, any idea, Paul, what's the common denominator between all those three sites? Oh, well, the common denominator is they're all going to be giving traditional medical advice and linked to drug companies. Well, that's part of it. But even more common is that every one of those companies, those websites, are owned by ad agencies. They're all oh, owned that. by ad agencies. Ad agencies that regularly use and monetize Google ads. So, and it's really interesting because... <clears throat> When they are discussing a disease, say the treatment of the flu, treatment of coronavirus, uh, they'll discuss it. And in that same article that they're discussing, they will have ads, not only Google ads, but you know banners and other ads that literally link to drugs for that condition. If you were to do that with a supplement, you would go to jail. Yeah, you'd get thrown in jail. You go to jail, but they do it, and it's illegal to do what they're doing. But they get away with it because they they, they are in bed with the federal regulatory agencies, and and they don't penalize them for doing this. So there's an old saying. There's an old saying: "He who has the gold rules." Yeah, and unfortunately, it's still very true. Absolutely. So that's the sad reality, and it's it's part of their overall strategy that. Uh, you know, is, is essentially being done to remove this information from the public consciousness. Do you have, a, and this is particularly sad in light of the fact that many people don't know this, and you may not, Paul, that uh, sepsis, you know, that's an overwhelming infection in your body yeah. that can kill you. How many people do you think it kills a year? Probably a hell of a lot. That is correct. Would you think it'd be as many as one in five people who died last year died from sepsis? Well, when I wouldn't doubt it, actually. I really wouldn't when you consider the state of people's microbiome, their immune compromise, fungal infections, bacterial infections, yep. heavy metal poisoning, mercury poisoning. I mean, most people 
are so terribly disabled. My research has shown that uh, 90% of people worldwide have both a fungal and a parasite infection. And both of those are indications that Mother Nature has deemed you unfit for life and she's dismantling you to put you back in the ground. That's right. So the results show that one in five people die from sepsis. That's particularly tragic because conventional treatment for sepsis are abysmal and it's almost universally fatal. So you go to the hospital with sepsis and you're going to rely on conventional medicine, you're going to not make it out alive. This is sad because there are simple natural strategies that don't cost much with virtually no side effects that can cure 80 to 90% of people with sepsis. Uh, that would be things, and these are well-established protocol with studies published in the peer-reviewed literature. I mean, dozens and dozens of studies show, showing this, but they, ref, they, they, ref, they wipe this information away. And these, these studies typically re rely on things like intravenous vitamin C, uh, small dose of hydrocortisone, B vitamins like thiamine given intravenously, and that seems to resolve this in many cases. Not everyone. It's not 100% effective. Very few things in medicine are, but this, this really helps quite a bit. So, it does, but it, if I could interject, it's, it's still allopathic. It's not addressing the diet and lifestyle no, no, factors but, that led to the problem. Heck no, but it, but at least you're alive and then you can address those foundational issues. You can't do yes. anything if you're dead. No, that's true. But the point I'm making is it, the same people that go to that, usually when they start feeling better, go right back to the same behaviors that led them into trouble in the first place. Yes. And a, a lot of these, if you, I would be interested to see research on what the recurrence rate of sepsis and related diagnoses are. Yeah, I, I would imagine it is high because if you don't address the underlying foundational reasons that caused it, you're going to get the same problem eventually again. There's no question. So it's not a magic bullet. It's just no. it, it, vitamin C is certainly a natural substance, but used at high doses, especially intravenously, it's a drug. It's a safe drug. Yeah. It turns to peroxide that has very low toxicity and these kills these intracellular pathogens, but uh, nevertheless, it still is a drug. So um, th that is part of it now. Um, <clears throat> now, their, their monopoly on search goes well beyond web search. They've uh, ha actually have a, a dangerous monopoly on online advertising. And you may recall in 2007, uh, Google bought DoubleClick, which already dominated the digital advertising market. Um, so they use this to collect data uh, and they that that's entered in the health and diagnostic sites and and they share this with hundreds of third parties and this data is not anonymized meaning it's not it's 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 tied specifically to you without your knowledge and consent but but when we're talking about that i think it's important to help people understand how google is a surveillance tool uh every google product is surveilling you not just for a limited time for the moment you use it uh, until indefinitely, until you're dead, they will permanently store every keystroke, every character you type in their software. And it's stored on their servers. And it's used to track and surveil you. 
So what are those products? Well, obviously Google search. So they know exactly what you've been searching for. Then they have the, the most popular web browser, which is Google Chrome. And uh, I found it interesting that uh, your wife, Penny, suggested I use Google Chrome to connect on this podcast. And I said, no, I'm not going to use Google Chrome. I use the alternative, which is uh, Brave. It's the browser that essentially has all the functionality of Chrome, but doesn't violate your privacy. Yeah, she may not know about that. It was because we, as you know, we had problems earlier this morning on a podcast yeah. using Firefox. So we had to switch to Chrome because uh, Zencaster interfaces with it well, but uh, it's good to know there are other options. Yes, there are. And we're going to go over what those options are. Hi, there's a lot of stress on our body, mind and emotions today with so much electromagnetic pollution, chemicals and poor quality food. And that doesn't include the stress of finding out that companies like Google, Facebook, and others we thought we could trust are actually harvesting us. There's no better place for overall health and recovery support than certified organic foods and drinks. And Organifi is my first stop for quick, easy-to-prepare foods and drinks. With all the viral craziness in the world, I can't overstate the value of Organifi's gold drink, which is loaded with immune support nutrition. Organifi has many excellent products to share with you. My family, myself, and many of my clients and athletes I coach use them daily, and I know you and your children will benefit greatly from them. Go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and check out their amazing product line. To get your Living 4D with Paul Check discount at checkout, use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. To get to know Drew Canoli, the founder of Organifi, listen to my Living 4D with Paul Check episode 64, Drew Canoli, UBU. I think when you meet the man behind the products, you'll see not only why I love the products, but why I love the values and the mission of the company. Enjoy. So let me finish the, the products that Google is surveilling you with. So we've got Google Search, Google Chrome. We've got Android phones. Yes. Android is the Google operating system given away for free and virtually in every phone that's not an iPhone. Absolutely capturing your data. No question about it. So this is one of the, and I was a big fan of Android. I had, I think, Samsung Galaxy up until the Note, all of them until like 10 or so. And then this year I switched to the, last year I switched to the iPhone 11. And no more Android for me, that's for sure. So, so the phone, the browser, the search engine, uh, Gmail. Every email you write, every character you type in Gmail is stored permanently on Google servers. Your correspondence is not private. It's, public. it's just you have to understand everything you write is, is essentially is exposed to the entire world. There's yes, but it's it's a it's a pathological manipulation of the concept of freedom of speech. <laughs> yeah, they, they give it to you for free, but at a price. Well, my point is when when we freedom of speech means we have the right for people like you and me and everybody else to be found on search engines, including Google, and to share diverse opinions, whether people may agree, whether it be vaccinations or political ideas. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is they're recording every keystroke. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's 
the freedom of speech concept is being used against us because it's not being used how it was designed by the American Constitution. It's being used to surveil you. Absolutely. So, you know, all their products, uh, that includes not only Gmail, but Google Docs. So, you know, the, they have an alternative to Word, which is typically a paid for product, but it's definitely worth it. At least Microsoft isn't violating privacy like uh, Google is, at least that we know of. It's not as uh, outright obvious if they are. And then Apple seems to be a lot more secure and, in fact, is widely known for their adherence to strict privacy rules. And, and you know, they're in the news frequently for criminals who have committed crimes and killed people. And they refuse to unlock their phones when requ- the FBI requests them to do it because they yes. value people's privacy. Google does not do that. They share all the information with the government. It, which is really, I know one of your questions is on fascism, and uh, it may sound um, hyper, 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 hyperbolic, but very simply, fascism is defined as cooperation between the corporations and the government. And that's a very simple definition and is absolutely appropriate here because Google is, is in bed with the government. There's no question about it. Yeah, one of the things that I found quite shocking when I watched the documentary, The Creepy Line at Ben Greenfield's recommendation, was that the military's uh, operating systems are bought from or given to, I can't remember either, but they come directly from Google. And there's there, there it wasn't really explicitly stated, but the same issues with the Android phones they're recording even when they're shut off. And when they, when you turn them back on, they upload everything from videos or whatever to the, to Google servers. And so when they mentioned in the creepy line that Google was providing the, uh, operating systems for the military, I thought, well, God, that is one hell of a dangerous idea. Yeah. Yeah. I was the one who told Ben about the creepy line. Yeah, that's that's what led me to one of the reasons I reached out to you to talk about these things. So it's 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 even worse than you think because you could take the battery when you could take the battery out of your phone, like you could in Samsung's. They, they, there's very few phones that you can take batteries out of now. But when you could and turn it off, it doesn't matter. The thing, the phone is still recording. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. And when you put the power back on, it uploads all the data wherever you've been. It's a tracking device. It's an app yeah. tracking device. And they can, and it's not anonymized. They know who you are, where you've been, what time you were there. So now you might think, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not doing anything illegal. I never, never even have a legal thought in my mind. Well, it's still, why should they have that information? Why? I mean, they're just literally destroying your privacy. And that's only what we know. I've, I've seen many experts saying that the, camera is recording the audio is recording for example a good example of that is alexa i'll be having a conversation with my family and all of a sudden alexa pipes up and starts talking to us or says could you state that more clearly or something like that and you know that is a good example of a listening device that's always listening even when you don't ask it to turn on and so i've told penny i want you to get rid of that damn thing but I have seen experts talking about the fact that the camera can be activated and utilized, or if you film anything, they can get access to it, that the listening uh, function of the phone can be on 
all the time, even when you think you're not using it, and it can be used against you. Yeah, and that would include the webcam too, too on your device. And it depends on what operating system you're using and what browser you're using. So yeah, so uh, that is an issue. So you mentioned that you use Alexa. That's an interesting thing. Now Google has an equivalent called Google Home, which is every bit as pernicious. Uh, and another example of their surveillance tool. Google has a number of other surveillance tools. And I want to get back to Alexa, but let me just finish their surveillance tools. They bought Google Nest, which is another classic example of what you said. And many people know that it was the thermometer, the automated thermometer that allows you to con- seamlessly control the temperature in your home when you're away uh, through your phone, through the Wi-Fi, through a Wi-Fi connection. So then they found after Google bought them, they installed a microphone in that Nest and a camera. <laughs> So, oh my God! You yeah. know that's that's blatant, they, right? They never there. I mean, they never disclosed it. Yeah, that's that's criminal, and that's mm-hmm. a thermometer. I mean, that's a temperature regulation. There's no excuse for a microphone and a camera in a device to control your temperature unless they're oh, blatantly spying on you. Yeah, Google wants the data. Yeah, so that you can start to see the level of the the pernicious intent. Um, they also have partnered with um, Ascension Health Systems last year, which is a, a, a company that has 150 hospitals in 20 states. And this gave Google access to millions of medical records of patients, millions of records. That gets to be a problem because when you look at... Oh, it's a HIPAA violation the, on steroids. It's a what? A HIPAA violation on steroids. Yeah, well, I'm speaking of it from another perspective because if if somebody who you know there, there's there's uh, suggestions out there now fairly solid from people like uh, Gabriel Cousins and others that the uh, coronavirus is manufactured and they found the uh, AIDS the the uh, yeah AIDS virus in it and all sorts of stuff that it's a manufactured virus. But when you start getting bioterrorism and corporate manipulation of the public to sell drugs and all this other stuff. If anybody can get a hold of that much information, they can gain access to information that allows them to effectively wipe out massive numbers of the population. Yeah, I actually interviewed Francis Boyle, who's uh, several PhDs from Harvard and been around for a long time and really is uh, quite a knowledgeable guy and studied this really carefully. And my interview actually comes out, uh, let me see, like uh, March 6th or so. or seventh on that Sunday. What day is this? It is uh, I'm sorry, the eighth, March eighth. So anyway, Boyle goes in and discusses how the the uh, coronavirus was actually a bio bioengineered offensive warfare weapon uh, out of the uh, BTSL uh, level four facility in Wuhan. So it just escaped the lab. But the the only intention of these these uh, these labs are to create these offensive bio warfare weapons. That's all they do, and this one just escaped. We don't know how it escaped or why it escaped, but that's what it was. So it's clearly well, a bioengineer. Yeah. No question. Yeah, we don't know. It, we don't know if it escaped either. You know, there's a history of yeah. You don't know. Military, you don't know. There's a history of the military testing things. Yeah, on the public, and and I don't have the specific references because I used to study this years ago. But I remember they were targeting colored people in the San Francisco Bay Area at one point, Mm -hmm. and that 
that was a military test for biological warfare weapons to see if they could create targeted biological agents. And a lot of the people in the public don't realize our government and our military actually is testing this kind of stuff. And I, I personally am very skeptical when I hear things like it escaped. I, I really have a hard time with that because any of those professional laboratories has lots of checks and balances to keep stuff from escaping like that. Well, they do have them, but it's it's almost inevitable they're going to fail because it's the, to maintain that type of uh, restricted restricted release is very difficult to do biologically. So they they I mean even if there wasn't any evil intent on releasing this, it could have it's just done been done by natural uh, uh, violation of the the uh, restrictions they had in place. So. You know, and it's not really necessary to imply that type of intent. And the, the key point is that it was bioengineered. This was not some mutant virus from bat soup, you know, that just escaped into the public. No, this was a bioengineered uh, virus. No question about it. Yeah, well, at some point, we're all going to have to grow up as human beings and spend the energy and resources we're spending on the military for better social programs, better communication systems, a legitimate political system and government, or something's going to escape that's going to actually destroy us all, all because we're putting too much intention in defending ourselves from each other when really we're at a point now where the resources of nature are at a point and the toxicity and the damage we've done, that if we don't all start working together as a humanity for the uh, support and respect and love of each other and the planet, then we're going to, we're going to all die together. Well, there's probably likely some truth to that, but the, I think the real threat is the tyranny that we're going towards through companies like Google that are essentially manipulating the whole process. This is a Orwellian dystopia on steroids. There is no question. It's, they're the largest monopoly the world have ever, has ever seen. Uh, they're siphoning off data every day. They reach deeply into all of our lives. They collect data on every move we make, every conversation we have, whether it's online or in the real world. And you don't have to look too far to see where this can go. Uh, it's especially integrated with the exponential explosion of technology. You just look into the social credit system that's already established in China. They had this massive facial recognition system that essentially can identify almost anyone anywhere. And if you're found jaywalking or you do something that's socially abhorrent, then you're identified and you're actually given a social credit score and your, your face and picture is plastered all over on these led screens. Uh, and you're, if you have a low credit score, it will, it will not allow you to buy, buy a house or even travel. You can't, do any, you can't travel on a plane. You're restricted at only traveling up on a train and at the back of the train and the, the lowest level section. So they're essentially controlling the population for their ends. And, and if you're not compliant with what their recommendations are, you're going to be severely punished or maybe even eliminated. And this is happening. You right know, now. Yeah. And there's something interesting I want to share with you as a way of looking at that. You know, I've studied Jungian psychology and psychology for many years because it's an essential part of my system of healing that I teach. And one of the best books on the shadow is by Robert A. Johnson, a famous Jungian analyst. And he makes it very clear that 
what we call the shadow develops through enculturation. And what's happening here is controlled enculturation, and it leads to repression of freedom. Mm -hmm. And to the degree you enculturate people and repress freedom, then they have emotional and mental reactions to that kind of control that leads them to having to repress natural means of expressing themselves, which leads to it ultimately to some sort of a shadow explosion. You know, if you don't deal with the demons you have inside of you, then you start acting them out unconsciously. So an example of the shadow is simply this. A guy who's not getting along with his wife gets up for breakfast. She doesn't have the eggs ready on time. And so he kicks his dog. Now, the question I have is what's going to happen when you start forcing enculturation into very narrow boxes into rules and regulations that are developed by somebody else, i.e. the people that are controlling the software and controlling the enculturation. And all you got to do to have a look at that is look what happens when you tell people called Christians that they have to follow 10 commandments or they're going to burn in hell and all the violence and all the shadow production and all the sexual repression and the long, long list of other things that comes from that. So what I'm saying is they're, they're, they're playing with a danger far greater than they realize because Controlling human beings beyond a certain point becomes extremely dangerous, and Lao Tzu warned about that a very long time ago. Sure, absolutely. So they can get away with it if people don't know what they're doing. But I think if you know they they didn't um, shut the internet off, but the internet still exists. They've just been able to essentially carefully control it, and one of the leaders in identifying how they're doing that is Robert Epstein or Epstein, who is a um, psychologist trained at Harvard, actually trained with BF Skinner. And yeah. I remember hearing that in his interview with you. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So it was, uh, he's really well trained in the scientific method. And about eight years ago, he was shocked and he's, he's also a computer programmer. So he's really a, a technically literate. Um, and he was shocked when his website was essentially taken down um, because there was some malicious software and it was a, not available on the entire Internet. And what he discovered was that Google has other ways of eliminating you from the Internet. Even though the Internet exists, it can take you out. Uh, this, is the, this is a last resort that they use, but it's definitely a, one of their tools. If they can... Almost every ISP in the world uses Google as their primary source of listing of sites that have malicious software or spam uh, that can hurt you, which is a good function, right? But if they mm -hmm. incorrectly identify your site as having spam software, when it doesn't, that would essentially knock your site off the internet because no one could reach it. They would just get this this a message that says this is a major threat you cannot proceed and that was that got him working and so he started to understand the power they had and then he he started uh doing research on their influence and how they were doing it and it's really fascinating the the creepy line <clears throat> is a great movie if you have amazon prime it's free you can watch it it's only 90 minutes and i think it would be well worth your time to watch it it's very potent. It's it's yeah. a, it's it's definitely a real eye-opening movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then th- th- that's the primer. And then if you want to go deep, you can go to my site, Mercola.com, and just type in Robert Epstein, uh, and you will get my two and a half hour interview with him. So, and that goes deeper, far deeper into what the details are. Hello, everyone. Did you know that your food can't possibly better than the soil that it's grown in? This is a fact, and when you consider that only 4-6% to of the food eaten worldwide is actually real organic food, you'll start to realize why it is that so many people eat and eat and eat, yet show clear signs of nutritional deficiency. In my Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 course, which I designed for the public, nutritionist and shaman Angie Chek and I teach you amazing things about how the soil really works, what organizations are producing bogus organic certifications, and give you tips for finding real organic foods, and we review excellent research on food and health by Weston A. Price, and much more. Everyone I know that's taken this course has loved it, and I've watched people lose a lot of weight, look better, and feel better very fast using the natural, easy-to-apply methods we share in Holistic Lifestyle Coach Course Level 1. You can get this online now at chekinstitute.com forward slash HLC1 online. That's chekinstitute.com forward slash HLC1 online. Listeners of Living 4D receive a $100 discount by using the code L4DHLC, no caps, on checkout. That's L4D. HLC with no caps on checkout. This is sure to be the best investment you've ever made in yourself or your family. And as always, we'd love your feedback. One of the things I just wanted to interject there, one of the things that I found shocking is when he, when uh, Robert Epstein in the creepy line uh, talked about how they shut his bank accounts off. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's like, you know, we're talking about a company that we think of as a search engine that's got the power to block you from your bank accounts. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just uh, shocking what a tyranny can do. And that's where we're going towards. It's a really tyrannical control of the culture and it's getting worse and worse pretty much every day. Uh, Well, it's extremely dangerous. I mean, I don't think we need to expand on that, but I think, you know, it's, as, as you've pointed out, it's being done in very stealth ways, but that does not deny the fact that we're, we're losing our freedom of speech. We're losing our ability to find natural healthcare mechanisms. We're learning, we're losing the diversity of public opinion, which is as important as diversity in nature. Mm-hmm. And whenever you start getting too many people moving in one direction, you start generating a polarity because there's always people that are going to counteract that. That's just how consciousness works. So if you get too many people in one camp, then you have a lot of pressure building on the other side. But if we have diversity, it's almost as though the forces find angular momentum instead of direct momentum. In other words, if your steering wheel works and someone's coming right at you, you can use diversity to get around them. But if you have only one option, you're going to have a head-on collision and I think that leads to possible, uh, you know, it, it, it can lead to a civil war. Oh, it could. It has potential to do that for sure. You know, another way that they control the narrative 
is uh, this issue of transparency. And they've, they've established a supposedly objective third party called NewsGuard. Have you heard of NewsGuard before? No. NewsGuard is software that can be installed on your browser that will essentially assign a color-coded like nutrition label to sites like green or red. And they say, based on a variety of factors that they assess, as to um, being uh, if it's fake news or not. Well, when you study who this NewsGuard uh, was funded by, it was funded by this uh, company called the Publicist Group, which is essentially an ad agency, uh, basically funded by most all the drug companies. Um, no surprise there. Yeah, and they don't disclose this. So they use this, so where's the transparency? There's no transparency. <laughs> and that's one of the criteria they use to rate these websites. And yet here you have this company that is funded completely by conflict with the conflict of interest, these drug companies, and to discredit valid sites. And there's no way you can dispute, dispute the rating. They just it's just an, it's just a, a dic- dictated. You know, they do their analysis and this is your score. That's it, and you can't dispute it. So obviously we have a red waiting and we're, you know, you go to our site and we're warned if you have this uh, software installed in your browser. So that's just another tool they're using. So for the rest of us, that means you just invert the ratings and you're probably accurate. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I mean, there are some valid sites that do deserve that truly are fake news and hyperbole and really scam sites. I mean, there, there's a lot less of them than, than, than are truly good sites that have been mislabeled. But still, they exist. So there, there is a need for this type of service. It's just that it's been essentially bastardized and, and highly prejudiced. So, well, what it reminds me of is Quack Watch, and I think it was oh, sure. two thousand and seven or two thousand and eight. I was teaching a class, and one of the students walked in the door and said, "Paul, did you know that you've just made Quack Watch?" And I said, "Well, what is that?" And he told me it was a website that was owned by medical doctors, apparently that warn the public of who the quacks are. So when I went to my lunch break, I got on, searched it out, and I looked at the names of the people on there, and I believe you were on there. I've been on there for 20 years. Yeah, and the thing that blew my mind is some of the most famous doctors that ever walked the planet were on there. Yeah, and the doctor is Stephen Barrett, who's a retired psychiatrist out of Pennsylvania, who has sued many people, including me, uh, for for essentially... uh, stating the truth. And then he claims if you don't retract that, it's basically as an extortion scam. Uh, and he's funded by the drug companies. So if you don't retract your statements on him, then he sues you in court and forces me yeah. to defend yourself, which you know can typically result in six figures uh, legal fees. So I know all about it. Believe me, I've already been sued in a situation similar to that. And uh, I won't go into it here just because it'll sidetrack the interview, but I know exactly how they try to bankrupt you so they don't have to compete with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a strategy and many believe that he's funded by the, the drug industry because he, I, he obviously as a retired psychiatrist, he doesn't have a large income. Uh, and the, the suits that he's involved in are literally seven figures or more, maybe eight figures uh, yeah. just to pay legal fees. Yeah. So he's either laundering money or, printing money or he's yeah. getting uh, hand-me-downs from people with ulterior motives that he's working for. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of goes back to, you know, one of the reasons we're doing this 
I mentioned earlier that we're spending three and a half trillion dollars every year on this, on healthcare in the United States. And um, it's just shocking. You know, in fact, this model doesn't work. One of the, you know what the most popular drug is out there now? Probably an anti-inflammatory of some kind or an antibiotic. No, it's a statin. Oh, well, that's even worse because it's even more hypocritical, more bullshit. Yeah, they very rarely ever work. Uh, And do you know how much they've earned since they've been introduced? I can't even imagine. It's a number that's incomprehensible. It's It's probably Google. (laughs) It's a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars in profit they made. Well, not only that, they've brainwashed the public into believing all this stuff. That's what's harder. I mean, I can't even count how many people I've sat in consultation sessions with that are very sick that are on statin drugs. And I tell them, you need to get off that stuff. It's not good for you and blah, blah, blah. And they're just arguing with me tooth and nail because they've got the published and and public is entirely brainwashed on many levels. And that's one of them. And you can't blame the public because these are, I mean, think about it. This is a trillion dollars. That's enormous, enormous financial resources to manipulate the healthcare professionals who the public relies on for their information. The public doesn't have the education or the training or the time to understand how to evaluate the scientific data. Uh, But the physicians should, but are also time constrained. So they rely on these professional groups that make these recommendations. And these are consensus committees typically. And it's not unusual for a consensus committee that supposedly reviews the uh, uh, data objectively and gives a recommendation to have the vast majority, maybe everyone on that committee have a conflict of interest in getting tens, if not hundreds of thousands, or even millions of dollars from the drug industry to that, that is essentially manufacturing the drug they're recommending. So they, they're not stupid. They, they're making a trillion dollars. They got plenty of money to pay with, to pay off the the key players, the influential leaders on in, in doing this. And it's, and it's interesting. There are about 14 or 15,000. One of the ways they do this is through medical journals. And they're just, just scientific journals. There's maybe 15, 20,000 journals in the world. And have you heard of the term impact rating of a journal? No. Yeah. It's, it's a term that's defi- that refers to its impact on... Uh, in the scientific community and, and how important it is. And, it, you know, basically it goes from number one all the way down to 15,000 or whatever the last number is. So the number one journal is the New England Journal of Medicine. Highest impact, yep. rating, even more than science, cell, nature. It's the New England Journal of Medicine. So I don't know how they got that rating, but they do have it. Now, it was an interesting uh, backstory on conflict of interest is that uh, the former editor of the New England Journal, the most prestigious medical journal in the world, was Marsha Angel. And she wrote a book, maybe about 10 years ago now, called The Truth About the Drug Companies and How They Deceive Us and What to Do About It, that is incredibly eye-opening. She was the editor for two decades at the New England Journal. So if anyone is going to know about the inside scoop, wouldn't it be an editor there, the chief editor for two decades? Yes, it should be. At the most prestigious journal, medical journal in the world, a journal overall. 
And she, her conclusion was, it's simply no longer possible to believe any of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidance, primarily because of the systemic corruption of not only the medical journals, but those who continue to publish what they clearly know is tainted research linked to, linked to drug marketing and of the very doctors who patients trust to look out for us. So these consensus committees, these, these are absolutely corrupted and, conflict, and conflicted. So once you understand this conflict of interest and you understand how they influence the physicians who then spread the message to uh, the, the media uh, and, and they take it off from there. And then they also control the federal regulatory agencies like the CDC, Center for Disease Control. And um, one of the former uh, head of the CDC was Julie Gerberding. You ever hear, hear of Julie? No. She's a physician. She was there, the head of the CDC for seven years. After she left the CDC, guess what company she was hired by? Oh, probably uh, GlaxoSmithKline or somebody very like that. Very close, very close. GlaxoSmithKline, Merck. good guess because they are the number one manufacturer of vaccines in the world. Merck is number two. Merck is the correct answer. She went to Merck and made upwards of 30 to $40 million. In, in, a year? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is in a variety of ways through stock options. And I think her annual salary was $2 million. She would probably getting a few hundred thousand dollars a year as a director of the CDC. So do you think that has any influence on vaccine policy recommendations? Merck is not stupid. They they buy the influence of these key influence, the, 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 the um, they buy them, the key influence like Gerberding and others. I mean, she's clearly not the only one. She's an egregious example of the pernicious influence of the drug companies, but there are many, many others, probably not many is, is made as much as she did, but others that are have responsible positions to make these recommendations. And uh, then they become widespread and adopted as standard of care within the entire industry. And that's part, yes. part of the reason why the patients that you are consulting are so confused. You can't blame the patients. I can't blame them. You know, and that was one of the reasons why I went into this is to reach them directly. But ultimately, they are you know, and we could, we did, we made a huge difference. You mentioned I, 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 I reached millions. It's actually billions of people I've reached. Uh, I mean, we, we were getting, a, we had more than a million visits a day prior to the Google censorship and they knocked us down by more than half. So you add that up over 20 years, it adds up to billions. So, oh, absolutely. Yes. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to short you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm trying to brag about it, but, but I'm, we did the, the point of that I'm trying to make is that we were making a dent. And that's one of the reasons they realized that we were a threat. And quite truthfully, I'm somewhat surprised it took us them so long to remove us from the equation because we are such a threat to their bottom line revenues. My best In guess is that we've, we have probably taken tens of billions of dollars from their bottom line. Well, that's great. And, and though I do appreciate 
the statement that you're making that we have to have empathy for the patients and the people of the world because there's a trillion dollars being spent to, shall we say, shape well, that their was, opinions. That, that was just one drug. One drug. Right. Yeah. Yes. I'm leading to something deeper here. Okay. All you've got to do is study the history of the education system. Sure. Our education system was designed by plantation owners specifically to teach slaves what to think, mm-hmm. not how to think, so they would not disrupt mass production. They did not want creative inputs. They wanted people to do exactly what they're told. And that is the basis of our education system today. So worldwide, with the exception of very few, usually private schools that are designed to actually teach people how to think, our entire education is designed to program people into what to think. And all you got to do is follow the money. And you see all sorts of cases of people getting kicked out of their positions from Fritz Albert Pop to many others for exposing research that goes against their agenda And all of a sudden, they're blacklisted and they're gone. But the real issue here is, look, it takes years, in most cases, 10 plus years to develop cancer. You look at yourself every day in the mirror, and it takes hard work for at least a year to become an obese person. The point I'm making is people need to grow up and start paying attention to their bodies and using their minds to ask bigger and better questions and take it upon themselves to stop worshiping authority figures, which is a pass down from religious control. Priests are now doctors and scientists, yet people keep doing the same things over and over again. For my entire career of 36 years, I've specialized in medical failures, and I always see a very characteristic pattern. Somebody comes to me, I look through Sometimes medical history is two inches thick with three files. It might take me a week to read through it. And what you see is one neurologist refers to another neurologist, refers to another neurologist. And this can go on for 15 or 20 referrals. And people keep using the same approaches and the same mindset to try to solve a problem, not realizing that you have to think outside of the box and you have to ask bigger questions. And then people say to me, well, that's all that my insurance would cover. Yes. Well, now you've spent five years getting sicker and sicker. You've had five surgeries. You're sicker and broken down than you've ever been. Yet you did not take it upon yourself to find a Mercola website or ask bigger questions or go to a library and search natural health journals. The point is we're at a point now socially where we have to start thinking for ourselves and using our minds to think holistically and not just believing what people tell us, especially when, as you've highlighted so beautifully, our opinions are being highly shaped and influenced for corporate agenda, not for our own health and freedom. So what I'm saying in a nutshell is people have got to stop exposing themselves to all this socially driven propaganda by corporate intention and say, well, I've done this for a year now, and I'm not getting better. I'm getting fatter. I'm getting sicker. I must look for alternative approaches, even if I have to go to a library and start reading books, or they're just going to die. They're going to get sick, and they're going to die. Yeah, many people do. So I, I, I'm, you can't argue with that. That's obviously true. The problem that I don't think you're really uh, broadening out to is the fact that the reason, my belief is the reason they're failing to do this is that they've been so cleverly and sophisticated controlled to what their views are and access to information. And we were making headway by the first 20 years of the, of the World Wide Web from 95 to 
to two, essentially 2015, we had free reign and that people realized that this was a resource. This was a tool where they could reach out. They could use Google in the early 2000s and yeah. get the real truth. Now, we're definitely going to tell you how to do that, but now you can't. They've got captured yeah. 92% of the searches on the, on the internet. So anyone seeking to find the truth now, how are they going to find it unless they know how to escape Google? One of the negative effects of electromagnetic pollution is chronic inflammation in our bodies. It's well known that CBD oil helps reduce pain and inflammation. So I spent a lot of time testing organic producers of CBD and related products and was overjoyed when I found one farm. They are USDA certified and their products are super clean, potent, and highly effective. Of the dozen or more organic marijuana product producers I've tried, One Farm is in a league all their own. Here are just a few benefits of purchasing One Farm products. They handle everything seed to shelf. They are USDA certified organic, top to bottom. Every part of the farming and production process is certified organic. All their products are hand harvested. They do everything by hand. One Farm uses only supercritical CO2 extraction for the highest quality end product. They use small batch extraction to keep products pure. Their products are full spectrum. One farm includes THC and other cannabinoids to maintain the functional synergy of the plant's healing powers. They have many products available, including CBD oil tinctures. They have doses as low as 3.3 milligrams per serving for pets and a range for humans of 10 milligrams to 40 milligrams per serving in flavors of natural mint, cinnamon, and lemon. They have a water-soluble hemp extract without flavoring that comes in a 20 milligram per serving dose. And this is the first product of theirs that I tried. And I was truly amazed at the, you know, just the beautiful harmony in it and how it made my body feel and how I could just feel it literally absorbing right under my tongue. They have soft gel edibles at 20 milligrams per serving. They have a turmeric relief cream with turmeric, cayenne, jojoba seed oil, vitamin E, and olive oil, which all work effectively together to reduce inflammation, reduce pain, and decrease stiffness. They have a beautiful lip balm as well. They have some lovely skincare products. They have a CBD day cream with CoQ10, a night cream with marula oil, a beauty serum with rosehip oil, an eye serum with sea buckhorn. They also have a beautiful transdermal cream, which I find excellent for a rash I get when I occasionally eat popcorn because my body doesn't like popcorn. But when I use their transdermal cream, I put a little bit of lavender oil on it and I rub it into the rash. And the next morning, it's pretty much gone. And I've never found a product that effective at alleviating that rash. So if you want to get your 15% discount, go to https colon forward slash forward slash onefarm.com forward slash check. That's https colon forward slash forward slash onefarm.com forward slash check. Once you click on that link, it will automatically give you your 15% discount on all your products. I cannot wait to hear your feedback on these products. Believe me, I tried a lot of them, and there is no competition for one farm. I think you're going to dig their products. Enjoy. That's why I said go to a library. For a long time before any search engines existed, I did mountains of research in libraries, and they can't control the libraries very well unless you go to a university library that's owned by a, a drug company. But you can find the information if you want to. There's a thing yeah, called Six Degrees 
desperation. It just requires some adult responsibility. And I'm not trying to be hard on people. I love people. I devoted my life to helping people. But I'm saying, if you have a problem, you you have a choice. You either keep playing the same game or you think outside of the box. No question. And it's you got to take responsibility. We all have to work together to figure out other ways to solve these problems. That's really what this conversation ultimately is about. We're not going to get rid of these major corporations. A few guys like me and you, even with your million hits a day, aren't a, a, you're a, a shooting an elephant with a BB gun. Yeah. We have to get together collectively yeah, and say, what can we do to stop these things? Just like the Italian people overthrew their government and yeah. got rid of their vaccination laws. We can, we can do it. Totally can do it. We outnumber them enormously. Uh, there, there's this really elite few that are doing this, all this control. And if we can get the information to the masses, we can totally turn this thing around. No question. And the internet was allowing us to do this and they realized it was a threat, which is why they play, play, changed the game. It's a new game in town and we need different strategies to inform the public. So there's no question that, it, that if you have the motivation and discipline, you can easily find it without the internet. You can go to the library. It's just a lot more difficult and challenging and time consuming, but it's doable. No question. Well, so is sitting in hospitals and, and drug lines and doctor's yeah. offices. And, you know, this is what I'm saying. Most people are so brainwashed into being a child and, and externalizing authority. Even when the stuff's not working, they keep doing it. And that, that is the, the hero's journey. That is the, the ordeal that we're all facing. If you think of humanity as a living organism within which each one of us is a cell, that whole organism called man, if you will, is on a hero's journey. And right now it's facing the ordeal. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So one of the ways that you, part of the reason, uh, there's a number of reasons that it's difficult for these people to do it. In addition to having their access to information cleverly sophisticatedly manipulated and maneuvered around. Uh, but the other are the things they do themselves, the choices they make in the foods they're eating, the exercise or lack of exercise, the way they're sleeping, but also a stealth influence that we really haven't discussed yet, but you uh, mildly uh, referenced earlier in the, in the conversation, which is your use of Alexa. So yeah. Alexa is a surveillance tool, no question about it. Amazon doesn't appear to be as pernicious as Google. But uh, it uh, definitely is up there. It's, I mean, it's the big three are Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Probably Google, Facebook, Amazon in that order. Um, so Alexa, the, the reason why you don't want to use Alexa is may not be obvious, to, especially as someone who's listening. But not only is it a surveillance tool, but it doesn't work unless you have Wi-Fi enabled in your house. Right. It will not work. So you have to have Wi-Fi. And what most people don't appreciate and understand, and I just wrote the best book ever written on this, is about EMFs. Uh, the book is called EMF. And clearly, it took me over three years to write this thing. And it was it's really a comprehensive description of why EMFs are a problem, how they do their damage, and what you can do to remediate it. But one of the major things is to limit access to your cell phone and seek to eliminate Wi-Fi in your house, which would solve so many of these problems. Nest doesn't work. Google Home, Alexa doesn't work. All these surveillance devices just disappear when you don't have access to the Wi-Fi. 
Plus, yeah. your health improves. Your brain function starts to work better. You can seek these alternative approaches that you're recommending people to do more effectively when your brain isn't being constantly assaulted by Wi-Fi signals, which we know impair its functioning. So that's another part of the equation. Yeah, I've also I'm sure you're familiar with Nick Pino's book, The Non Tinfoil Guide to EMFs. Oh yeah, yeah. He he reviewed my book before it was published. But Nick yeah. book prior to my my book was the best one out there for the average person. And I recommended it routinely. But I think I, my job is a little more comprehensive. The job I did is a little more comprehensive, a, little, a lot more technical and sophisticated and uh, has more recommendations from a, a wide variety of some of the top leading consultants in the, the, the U.S. for how to remediate this thing. Nick being one of them, but also guys like Brian Hoyer and Orm Miller. Yeah, I think the more we have, the better. I mean, this is an issue that's so broad. Uh, you know, if, if a hundred people wrote books, uh, that were, you know, scientifically sound and we put them on every street corner, we might start getting somewhere. Yeah. So it's, it's a good tool. Uh, and, um, you don't even have to buy the book. I've put together, uh, uh, chapter seven is this, is the chapter in the book that goes into recommendations and how to protect yourself and your family from the exposure to these frequencies. And I, I have a, uh, put, create a, a subdomain on my website, emf.mercola.com, where you can actually download most of that chapter as a PDF and get that without even buying the book. Well, that's good. That's humanitarian of you. Thank you. Yeah. So emf.mercola.com. But it's a, it's a significant issue uh, and largely uh, a result of another corrupted industry, which is the wireless industry. Every bit as pernicious as tobacco. Uh, and just like the cigarette manufacturers did, they, they followed the example. They, they contributed knowingly to public harm and then they lied to the public about it. And I mean, you're old enough to remember the late nineties when you had the CEOs of all the major tobacco companies testifying before Congress that A, cigarette smoking was not addictive and B, cigarette smoking did not cause lung cancer. Yeah, I remember all that. I yeah. I remember seeing the debates on television and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it's, it's just sort of and it's, it's a tobacco it's a tobacco version of Watergate. Yeah, and technically that's illegal, but it's never really prosecuted. You can you, you're not supposed to lie to Congress, and they knew. <laughs> no, you're not. But it's happening all the time. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the the wireless industries follow the exa- same example, except they up the game significantly. They they even went so far as to hire the same public relation firms as as the as the tobacco industry did. And uh, it's interesting because in the 50, 1950s they knew they were in trouble. They knew that the science was coming out to, to nail them that this was a dangerous product that they were selling that they were killing and hurting people. But they they got this brilliant strategy that is used today by the wireless industries and many other industries which is essentially the primary strategy is to create doubt and confusion, to discredit people, reputable scientists who come up with uh, studies and information disputing their claims to discredit those people. In many cases, get them dismissed from their university, which is, and these are not wealthy professors. I mean, these typically can ruin them and they have to go into gardening or be a farmer because, you know, that's their primary source of income. So th- these are some very brave uh, individuals who 
who come up against these industries and and have been devastated because of their courage. Uh, so th- 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 this is this is one of the ways that they're doing it. And they've also, unlike the tobacco industry, have captured these federal regulatory agencies. Um, Obama appointed this guy named Tom Wheeler as head of the FCC. The FCC is the federal regulatory agency that controls the wireless industry. Yeah. Wheeler's former position for like a decade was the chief lobbyist for the wireless industry. That yeah, no most, surprise. That is the most egregious example of the fox guarding the hen house. You know, let's, I, I, let's hire a chief lobbyist and make him head of the FCC. For four yeah, years. and it's it, this is not only in that industry, it's in the drug industry, it's in many industries. Oh, I, tell people all the, all, I tell people all the time, we no longer have a White House, we have a corporate headquarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a common strategy, right? And they're trying to, they make it technically illegal, but it doesn't matter. They did the same thing for uh, authors and scientific researchers and, uh, to, to declare their conflict of interest when they're submitting papers for publication in peer reviewed journals. And very few do that. And if they do and they're exposed, there's no, no damage or no consequences as a result of failing to disclose that. And, you know, it's interesting when I go and give a lecture to some of these organizations, I was, gave one at ACAM last year. I mean, they, it was so, the, these egregious restrictions are, are so ludicrous. I couldn't even name the title of my book because it was a conflict of interest. Yeah, I, I, I mean, believe it or not. Yeah, these guys are getting paid hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars sometimes and fail to disclose it. That's a conflict of interest. Writing a yes, book, and exposing the problem is not a conflict of interest. Yes, and, and, and believe it or not, even in, in exercise and uh, conferences like that, uh, I'm not, no speaker's allowed to mention their own books because they say you're not supposed to be selling. And I say to them, well, what do you do when you wrote a book a book or many books that has information that isn't in other books. Yeah. And isn't it a paradox that anyone else can reference my book except me? And I'm the guy that wrote the damn thing. Yeah. It, it's just an insane safeguard that is just short, just uh, not well thought out because there's like virtually no profit in publishing a book. I mean, there's a few authors who hit it big like Harry Potter those types of books, but those are rare and far between. It's probably only a handful of authors who are hyper successful. Most people don't make that much money from writing a book or publishing it. I mean, it's not a huge source of income. So yeah, 90, 90% of books published go out of print after the first print run. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, they're not making, and, 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 and if you buy a book, it's 10, 20, $30. I mean, it's rarely more than that. Uh, so it's not, it's not making a recommendation to, to, to get a drug that's going to cost that much or three times that much. And you have to be taken every month for the rest of your life. It's a, yeah. a total difference. Yeah. There's a, uh, could I ask you a few specific questions um, in regard to what we're talking about here? Sure. sure. Um, you know, in your interview with Dr. Epstein and in the documentary, The Creepy Line, Epstein points out that even when people could see the bias he put into his research presentation of websites, it not only didn't shift them, but it had the opposite effect, which, as he said when he was talking to you, was shocking, but it resulted them being even more biased, which I found very paradoxical. I'd love to hear what you think is 
uh, causing people to respond to information even when they can see the bias? Why are they being even more biased? This almost sounds like the issue of fundamentalist religious people. The more you challenge them, the more uh, convicted they get. Well, I'm not sure of the underlying psychological principles that explain that, but it's clearly an observation that he had. And I think it's important to uh, actually look at the interview I did with him and, or watch the creepy line because he goes into great de- details on how he constructed the study. It was very carefully done. Uh, and well, I mean, this was, and I believe he published it too. So, and this was done in conjunction with 2016 election. And he proved that uh, there was millions of votes that Google influenced through their, these techniques, some of them ephemeral and essentially leaving no paper trail. Examples of these techniques would be ordering of the search engine results. And, and he, he conducted these, these uh, experiments that essentially replicated Google, and, except they, they were able to show the, uh, the people in the experiment uh, they could control the order of the information they received, and they were asked to. And it was really cleverly done because they they uh, candidates they gave them to evaluate were actually candidates from a real election, like in New Zealand. So clearly, no one in the U.S. would know what the heck's going on in New Zealand, and they actually had real pages from those elections. So they didn't make it up and bias it in any way. It was real data, but they just changed the order of which those pages appeared when they would search. They asked them to search and they gave them like a specific amount of time to figure things out. And based on the order that those the articles came up, it totally changed their opinion. Absolutely yeah, controlled it. And what people don't realize is that ordering is an ephemeral. That means it disappears. There's no track. There's no record of it. So Google can, can implement this strategy and never be accused of doing anything unless someone like Epstein or another researcher actually does this, captures the data and stores it in servers. Yeah, which would certainly make him a very dangerous person <laughs> against them. Well, he wants to do it. It, it. The project would cost like $25, $50 million. He just doesn't have the funding to do it. But but this is the only way you can show what they're doing and prove it. Yeah. Now, when I, when I watched the creepy line and I watched as much of his interview with you as I could, he just said that he was shocked at the fact that when he exposed them to the bias, that they were even more biased in the same direction that they would have been prior to that. And he did not give an explanation as to why that is. He just sort of said he was shocked by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure there's some underlying psychological principle. I don't know what it is that would support why they're they're uh, taking that position. But I, I suspect if they believe it's the case, there's self-reinforcing. I don't know. But it is what he observed, which was really an interesting observation. Yeah. Um, You know, on the list effect, from my studies of how the unconscious mind functions, I'd propose the reason that the list effect is so powerful of an influence on people is that believing in what's highest on the list is the easiest thing to do and requires less effort to gain more information. And the fact is, research shows consciousness requires a lot of energy to uh, and effort to maintain. So wh- what I'm saying is I think that people take the unconscious route because it becomes habitual and they think they've got the answers, but they don't actually check, as I said earlier, for uh, opposing opinions to get a holistic viewpoint. I'm just curious if you think maybe that might be the reason the list effect is so powerful. No, I think it's something related to even even simpler explanation because for most objective data 
what is the capital of Nebraska, you know, Nebraska or Florida? You look it up. There's only one answer. And that answer is going to be number one, a hundred percent of the time, right? You look it up. That's the answer. So we are trained, classically conditioned and trained over years and years of using the internet that the first answer is usually right. And then they decrease from there. So we're trained to believe that the higher up that result is in the list, the more likely it is to be true. It's, I think it's a really simple observation based on clinical training over time. And most of the time, this strategy is going to work. But when it comes to subjective evaluations where there's a, there's a clear difference of opinion on a topic, you cannot rely on that strategy. It's, go, it's, going, to be, it's going to fail on steroids. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to tell you about an amazing product from Symbiotica called Synergy B12 with Fulvic Minerals. This product promotes cardiovascular health, aids detoxification, and enhances cellular energy, and it's unlike any other B12 product out there. And I brought Shervin in to tell us the particulars so you can realize how high-tech, cool, and totally synergistic this is with your body. Paul, this is the most advanced B12 product available on the open market today. That's final. Nothing even comes close. We used, again, our micelle technology, which guarantees maximum absorption, making these vital nutrients permeable and absorbable, even if you have gut issues. We have both forms of B12 in here, methylcobalamin and adenosylcobalamin. Both are critically important for many, many health factors within the body. We also have extracted fulvic minerals to give it a biocharge. All vitamins need minerals to perpetuate it and to make it absorbable. Mm -hmm. So it gives it that jing, that energy. We also have L-methylfolate. This is extremely important. A lot of people might have the MTHFR gene mutation and not even know it. This comes in there like a silver bullet and allows your body and gives your body the energy needed to detoxify cellular energy, power, awareness. All of these things are encapsulated within that micelle delivery system. That's awesome. Get over to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. And use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 for your 15% discount, not only on Synergy B12 with Fulvic Minerals, but on all the amazing Symbiotica products. Can't wait to hear your feedback. I love this stuff or I wouldn't share it with you. Enjoy. What do you, what do you, if you look into your crystal ball and say, okay, if, if, if the public doesn't stand up against this thing. What do you think is going to happen in the next three to five years if we just let this disease grow? Well, it's tyranny. That's, that's the, the major danger that they're going to have. We're going to lose our personal freedoms. We're continuing to lose them. And we started to lose it because you know, the strategies, and you're, I'm sure you're well familiar with it, is that they, uh, the government introduces this threat, this perceived threat. Uh, and the, 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 the major one that we know is the, is the uh, 9-11 and then the anthrax uh, fear after that. And then and yeah. shortly after that, they, they implemented the Patriot Act, which sounds right. all well and good, but it was a massive loss of personal freedoms and giving the government oh. incredible authority and autonomy to, to essentially go in there and do whatever they want. Yeah, they, they, the, I've actually seen the list that they use in the airports to determine whether or not you can be deemed suspected as a terrorist or a threat and I, when I saw the list, it shocked me. It had things like if you are wearing open-toed sandals, if you have a T-shirt, 
if you have holes in your jeans or holes in your clothes, if you wear your hat backwards, sideways, or any other way than normal, if you do not have a collar on your shirt, like the list of the list of items was a catch net so broad that unless you were a, a, a white collar worker with your hair combed back, a sh- clean shaven face, and a suit on, you were a target for for a potential threat. And as soon as they deem you a potential terrorist, you lose all your freedoms and rights. Yeah. So that's the biggest risk, I think, is that we're going to that that behavior is only going to increase and get worse. And this coronavirus threat is is another opportunity to con- to continue to lose our freedoms. And they they're doing it in China. They they essentially have got this new. Uh, software that almost everyone has to download that uh, essentially gives them uh, the individual who has the software a green, yellow, or red signal. And you cannot move in the community until you have that. And they, this way they track it and they share the information with the police. So they're just u- using this as another intrusion to lose your, your personal freedom and privacy. So I think that's the risk we, we encounter. And then, you know, one of the, one of the things down the line to look at is like mandatory vaccinations, which is, well, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a friggin' nightmare right there. That's yeah. I think you and I both know that that's, that's uh, clearly well, evil. <laughs> that's what they're going, moving towards. Of course they are. I believe me, I've got a four year old and a seven month old and I won't go through it again. Cause in my interview with Sherry Tenpenny, I shared the whole story, but I had one hell of a battle in the hospital when I would not, me and Angie would not sign the, um, we we signed we would not accept the vaccinations or the vitamin K and the nurses went crazy. But the long and the short of it is, all of a sudden, on our second day in the hospital, the head nurse shows up with two people in suits and says, uh, "Mr. Check, you need to leave the room. We have to have a private interview with your wife." Well, I'm like, "What the hell's going on?" And she wouldn't tell me. Well, when I came back, Angie told me that was the social services. The head nurse called them to find out if we we were fit to be parents because we were refusing vaccination and vitamin K. Yeah. They were basically determining whether or not they were going to take my child away. Well, yeah, not only your child, but your other children too. So that's. Yeah. That's, well, that's the, well, the, one of them's 40, so that'd be tough. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the children under 18, of course, but the, the, that's the type of risk that we're exposed to. And they're doing this now today, not for vaccines, but for any parent of a child who refuses conventional cancer treatments. They are undeemed parents and their children will be taken from them by child and family services if they refuse chemotherapy and and allow their child to be murdered by the, by the conventional medicine. It's un- fucking believable that's the only way that's the most polite way i can say it and that's exactly why i said to you earlier people need to pull their head out of their fourth point of contact and use libraries and talk to people like you and me and ben greenfield and everybody you can find because the energy that it takes to to protect yourself and get good advice is it may be a lot harder than trusting doctors in the internet, but it could not only save your life, but keep you healthy. And the reality of it is we have a real dragon that we're facing here. And if people don't get healthy enough mm-hmm. to get involved in this, well, you're we're going to be in trouble because the way they've got people drugged and numbed with garbage food and pacifying them with television, 
we've got a major problem on our hands because as David Bohm says, real thinking is challenging. That's why most people just rearrange their prejudices. Mm-hmm. And Jung said almost the same thing. And what I'm saying is to think effectively, you have to be healthy. Your mind cannot be any healthier than your body. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. So if we all we don't all start protecting organic farming and work on sustainable uh, corporations and sustainable food and water supplies and start taking care of mother nature and taking care of ourselves and, and loving and respecting the gift of the human body that takes an entire universe to create, then basically we're going to go into some sort of a, uh, you know, an open jail system, really a jail with invisible walls. Yeah. So the, one of the, there's some strategies that everyone listening now can, can do. So my view of what's possible to prevent that dystopia is to continue to uh, enlighten people about the truth with the strategies you advise to wake them up, help to wake them up and give them the tools to do that. So usually when people are motivated most is when they're struggling with a health issue. So if they're looking online, they're only finding drug answers, which is now exactly what they're going to do if they're using Google, then they're, they're going to find come up negative. And then this is when you have an opportunity to connect with them, whether these are your friends, family, or relatives, and <clears throat> encourage them to use these tools. And so they can figure it out themselves. You can't tell them what to do. You basically have to teach them how to learn because they have to figure it out themselves. If you give them the Absolutely. answer, it's not going to work. They have to come to the conclusion that that's the answer. It just is. So yeah. how, what's the tools? How do they do it? They, I, I hopefully have given enough information. And if I haven't, then you've got to watch the creeping line in my interview with Robert Epstein to convince everyone that Google is a pernicious threat to your, your life. It needs to be removed from your life as soon as possible. So how do you do that? Would you be interested in finding out? Would I be interested? Of course. That's why I've yeah. got you on this. Interview. All right. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> I would recommend if you have an Android, when you're, when your next phone comes up, do not continue with an Android phone. Switch to an iPhone. Along those lines, before I talk about the other alternatives to Google, uh, is that how you take care of your phone is going to have a massive influence on EMF's impact on your body. It's probably your single biggest threat from EMF exposure is your phone. It really should never be put on your body unless it's an airplane mode. And even then, it still should be either off or in a Faraday bag in airplane mode on your body because, you know, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Um, I, I find it interesting that people can wear phones on their bodies without noticing anytime I wear my phone, I, you know, I have it on a waist belt. I have a, like a fanny pack, a bum bag that I wear because I, I got too big of an ass to stick, stick stuff in my back pockets without it just like making my jeans uncomfortable or my clothes uncomfortable. It's muscles, you know, it's downside. Yeah. And, so it sits right on top of my right gluteus medius. And within about 10 minutes, the muscles aching, like I've overworked it or it has trigger points in it. And if I hold it in my hand, if I hold it in my left hand it, it, within five minutes, it makes my heart and chest start to feel like my whole pericardium's tightening up. And I'm like, how do people walk well, around holding these phones uh, all day I'll like this? I'll tell you how. Uh, more than likely, you have a bit of, sounds like you have a bit of EMF hypersensitivity, which is about three to 5% of the population. And it's actually, I think it's a good thing. Now, if you have a, a, per, a pervasive exposure, it could make you worse, but it gives you a, 
an understanding that you have some feedback. Normally, these these EMF exposures are invisible. You can't feel, hear, or see them. You're one of the few that can. That's a good thing, uh, I believe. But it can actually be I do too. It, it, it can, one of the, a lot of people, maybe 80 million people have a condition called tinnitus or tinnitus, which is ringing in the ear. Yeah. And we believe yeah. it's almost always related to EMF exposure. So yeah, I wouldn't if, doubt if it. You yeah. go into a, a, essentially a Faraday cage or an environment where there's the no EMF radiation or virtually none, the tinnitus will disappear. It's pretty, yeah, weird. that's a, it's a good test, but Faraday cages aren't just uh, hanging around, unfortunately. No, but you can create them in your bedroom. I created one for my own bedroom, and uh, it's. Would you just use wire mesh? No, I use a uh, wire mesh, uh, 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 a, a fiber, a product, a fabric that is electrically conductive under the floor. I had to rip off the floor to paint. Use uh, shielding paint on all the walls, which required moving cabinets off the walls and taking the, all the cabinets out of the closet and painting the walls and then putting them back. So it's it's a, it, and you got to paint the ceiling and put materials over the window. So yeah, it's so it. it's, using, yeah. but but it, you know one one of the keys is to create an environment where you sleep at night with a limit of radiation because that's one of the ways that you recover is is to really repair and regenerate at night with essentially in a Faraday cage with very limited to almost no exposures to EMF, your body can repair. And then you go out and then your exposures can be sort of like a hormetic stressor. So it actually makes you stronger and somewhat like exercise. But if you're exposed yeah. to 24 seven, it's just going to make you worse. So kind of, you can imagine working out like running a marathon continuously, you'd be dead. You know, yeah. so that's an extreme example, but it's, it's somewhat similar. A hormetic stressor can either help you or if it's excessive, it'll, it'll damage you. Yeah. So, Anyway, you got to be really, really careful with your phone. Even if it's an iPhone, you still need to be in airplane mode. And uh, it should never be on at night. I mean, it's the worst thing that people do, especially with their kids, is they let their kids have their access to the phones. And many children who are particularly vulnerable because thinner skulls and their brains in important developmental stages, they sleep with their phone on under their pillow. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, that's it's really a prescription bad. For, for brain impairment. You know, it, yeah. it's just... Devastating. We're not going to have any idea what's going to happen to these kids because, like, it, it, in some ways, EMF exposure is similar to tobacco and cigarettes. Because, in fact, I call cell phones the cigarettes of the 21st century because, like cigarettes, you don't suffer immediately. It typically takes years, if not decades, multiple decades, to to develop the the, the biological consequences and the damage that's going to take you out prematurely. So that's what's happening with these kids, I believe. I mean, this is a new experiment. How many people, not many people, the majority of people did not have cell phones last century. There are some, and virtually no one had it before 95, 1995. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there was a small group in 95 to 2000, and, and most people didn't really have it until this century. And, you know, the bulk occurring when the smartphone started happening with iPhone, which I believe was 2007. So... You know, this is a relatively recent experiment. We've, we're talking less than two decades for most people that have had these exposures. So anyway, getting back to what you can do. So iPhone, no Android. Uh, no Gmail. No Gmail. It cannot be your primary account. Find another email client. I, I, my favorite is Outlook, which is a, we use Outlook client uh, uh, that uh, we have a server for. Exchange is called, uh, but you can think use things like Proton Mail, 
Proton, P-R-O-T-O-N, mail. Uh, and it's totally secure and private and encrypted, and no one can find out anything what you're doing. So get rid of Gmail. You just should not use Chrome. You should not use Chrome. I know it's convenient. It's very clever. Uh, it provides really interesting information if you're looking for the weather or football game score or you know a temperature conversion or something that does it does it pretty easily but you don't want to use it almost any time especially if you're looking for information you just simply cannot use chrome you're using chrome you're you're committing yourself to a lifetime of ignorance because you will never never find the truth anymore on chrome it, when it comes to health they just are not telling you it's gone it does not exist in google so that would be by Chrome, that means no Google search. So you can use another browser like Firefox or uh, Opera and still use Chrome. I would still use Google search. So don't use Chrome, but don't use Google search, which is probably even more important. So remember, every one of those platforms is going to be surveillance and tracking you and and capturing everything you do on that indefinitely. It's stored permanently in their, in their servers. And no Google Docs. So what do you use? The best browser out there, I'm convinced, right now at least, is one called Brave, B-R-A-V-E. It's free. It's based on the same software uh, that uh, Chrome is, which is a platform called uh, Chromium. And actually, uh, Microsoft Edge is switching to Chromium too, and they may have already, I don't recall. But it's th that it's a very powerful platform. Uh, and the benefit of using Brave is unlike, uh, unlike Chrome, they are private. They are not capturing your data and selling it to the third parties. Uh, additionally, Brave has free ad blocking. So I've been using Brave for about a year now, and they blocked more than a million ads from my work. That's awesome. A million ads. Yeah. And Have you heard of the one, the browser called Ecosia? Yeah, it's, I think Brave is a little better. Supposedly, they're, I, I, that's an environmental one that's supposed to for for global planting trees. Yeah, yeah I got it because they, they plant trees now. Yeah, I, I, I haven't taken the time to see if they're really planting them, but yeah. it was turned on to me by a friend who suggested it. So I think uh, I like after Brave I, better. Well, I'll try it after I. Uh, after I watched the creepy line, I immediately <laughs> switched over to something non-Google. <laughs> yeah. So use Brave as your browser. So you can still use Google search in Brave. That is, I think, the default search. So definitely use a different one. One that uh, is an option within Brave is called Quant. It's from France. And right now it's okay. We don't know when another company will buy them and change the whole, their whole business model, but Q-U-A-N-T. Uh, one that I like that I currently use as my default search engine is Swiss cows, plural, Swiss cows. And that you would have to have, though, the benefit of you, you have to download an extension and then, it, then you can use it, but it's easy to do. And Brave, because it's based on Chromium, I neglected to mention, it's very, very easy to switch over from Chrome to Brave. You can import all your, 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 your uh, favorites. And all your extensions, same extension. So it works just like Chrome, identical. You have all the functionality. And like today, I'm talking to you on a Brave browser. And, and you know, the Firefox you had with it previously it didn't work, but Brave works. It really is phenomenal. 
So Swiss cows and quant for the search engine. And this is a big one. And I, this is, I was doing almost everything before I talked to Epstein, but I didn't realize that I was missing out on this one. And that is you want to function. This one you have to pay for. Everything else I talked about is free. Those are all no charge. But remember, if you're, uh, except for Proton, well, the, the, the base Proton mail is free, but most people, if it's going to be their primary email, they're going to have to pay a little bit more for bigger storage. So, um, it, the, but the, the other important tool to use that will really anonymize you and keep you, keep you away from advertisers. And let me give an example of what this will prevent. I was talking with my girlfriend and we were discussing a hotel that I was going to stay at when I was visiting my office in South Florida. Uh, and literally she, she is not as been disciplined as applying these tools. So literally within a few minutes on her Facebook feed, and I'm not on Facebook, but she is, uh, comes up an ad for that same hotel, that same hotel. Uh, yeah. She's being monitored. Yeah. Well, everyone. It's not just she, she's not being targeted. Yeah, no, I, I, I just, yeah, I know that I'm speaking. Yeah. It was a perfect example of of exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So that would never have happened if she was using a VPN, a virtual private network. Now, those there are some free ones, but I would think you, you, if you're going to use a VPN, you need to pay for it. It's not terribly expensive. It's like three dollars a month. You know, you pay 130 bucks and it's good for three years. You know, it's like it's almost free, but it essentially guarantees that no one is going to track you ever again if you're using it i like that a lot yeah it's crazy not to use it so which one there's a bunch of them out there the one that epstein recommends and the one i use is norton norton vpn n-o-r-t-o-n it's like the norton antivirus this is norton vpn yeah now i'm assuming i didn't do my due diligence on this edit i'm assuming robert epstein did uh he likes it so but you know always got to do your due diligence maybe they've Norton changes something and they're selling the data. I, I don't think so, but right now they seem to be okay. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> a company like Norton though, because they make uh, virus stuff, <clears throat> you know, I always wonder if they're in bed with the yeah. virus makers, you know? Yeah. But this is, this has nothing to do with virus. <clears throat> it's just to do with anonymizing your data. So no one knows where you're coming from. It's a really pretty clever device and it works pretty seamlessly. Uh, you're paying $3 a month, but uh, just to give you an idea of how useful it is, maybe you only need one account for the whole family because it lets you use up to six devices at once. So this is a, a, a VPN that you want on your phone for sure. Absolutely for sure. Then they will stop tracking you. Okay. So you put- Can you tell me briefly how a, a, a virtual private network functions? Like what is it actually doing? It's essentially sending all your data through another server and you're coming, it's routing you from a, from a different, different location than where you're at. And you can even with Norton, you can pick whatever country in the world you want to be anonymized to. Like I can go to Congo in Africa, or I can go to Mexico or Costa Rica. It can be coming from like Netflix. It has, there are some comp sites like Netflix that recognize this. And if you, you cannot use Netflix if you're using a VPN, it won't let you because it tries to protect because like literally Netflix has content that is available only in certain countries, but there, there are other 
company's not as big as Netflix. Like say BBC is running a movie and it's only available to people in, in the UK. Well, you can go use your VPN and, and show that you're coming from London and you, you can easily watch the stuff. So it, it, uh, redir- it t- causes the, uh, the site you're visiting to, to, it's, it's like spoofing your, your uh, IP address. Can you use this on phones as well, well as computers? 100%. Yeah. So okay. you can use it on your phone. And normally you're only using one device at a time. So, you know, if, you, if you're, you're, you, you can easily share it with your spouse. You can put it on 10 devices, each of you. But if you're only using two devices at once, it'll work, right? Your phone, yeah, and, cool. phone and your notebook and your desktop. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great system. It really is. And, you know, so when you figure you can use it for more than one person on, on all these multiple devices, it's a, it's, it's a significant bargain, you know, for most of it's less than a dollar a month for most devices. So that's nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I, I really regret not using it before. So I st- just started applying the VPN this year. So essentially I stealth since 2020. That's awesome. Yeah. But Epstein has been stealth for like the last eight years. He needs to be with the kind of research. He's yeah, doing. yeah. So he, you know, it's pretty interesting. He, he's just not targeted anymore. It's really, and it's not that hard to do. You know, once you understand this. So anyway, those are the strategies that you need to do. If you're doing that, and you have those tools, and share those tools with your friends, get your friends to understand the dangers of Google. So they, you just can't tell them it's a threat. They have to view the evidence themselves and reach their own conclusions. And I think it's really hard not to come to that conclusion if you watch the creepy line. And most people listening to this, their friends and their relatives have Amazon Prime. And, you know, not to comment on whether it's good or bad, but that's the reality. And it's a free to watch. You know, it's there's no charge to it. You just watch it and then you can reach your own conclusion. If you're convinced, then you can implement these strategies to get this work around from Google because it is. I highly recommend watching it. It's it's an eye opening documentary. I, I, I found it fascinating and shocking. Yeah. And the gro- Jordan Peterson is in there, too another high profile guy who really has been vilified by by uh, google and other social media so fantastic well dr mercola this is all very very interesting very important information i'm really glad that we've had a chance to share it with as many people as we can possibly reach through the podcast and hopefully they'll share it with a lot of people as well since it's so important as anyone listening could clearly see uh you know what i i asked you uh in prep for the podcast, some of the most important things you thought people should be aware of for improving their health. Uh, one of the, right at the top of your list was time restricted eating. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, that's one of those strategies that if you do, most likely you're going to d- implement this strategy. You're going to insulate yourself from so many chronic degenerative diseases. Um, <clears throat> one of the clear observations in longevity research is that calorie restriction seems to be a powerful tool, at least in animal models, to increase longevity. And the, the problem with it in humans is the compliance is just like really challenging. So uh, a, a simpler way that seems to achieve most all the same benefits is something called time-restricted eating, which is essentially uh, restricting the number of hours that you're eating food. Yeah. So. Most people eat food for over 12 hours. 90% of people eat food for more than 12 hours a day. And probably more than half of people are eating food 16 hours a day. They're eating from the time they get up to the time they go to bed. 
So the key is to start to constricting that down to at least six to eight hours. Probably is a, is a nice start. I personally do a four hour window, uh, and the window. Now you can do some. <clears throat> the the key point is to figure out what that the the that range should be at what time it begins and ends. The key, one of the key components is that it needs to be at least three hours before you go to sleep. So wouldn't it would not be very valuable to wake up, not eat breakfast or lunch, and have a big dinner? That would not be a wise strategy. No, that's too stressful on the organs yeah. and glands. They don't get to recover at night. Yeah, yeah. So you want to have at least three hours. I typically finish eating at two and I'm in bed by nine. So I have like seven hours before I go to sleep, uh, which gives me plenty of time because you're still digesting food for three, about at least three hours. So you don't want to be yeah. digesting food when you're sleeping. And, up, you know, most physiology texts say five if you're eating flesh foods. Yeah, yeah. So I got more than enough time. So, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's a good, simple strategy. You, know, you start slowly and you, you work your way towards it. And the studies are really clear that even without addressing the quality of the food you're eating, which would not be a wise thing to do, obviously you don't want to have processed foods and, and adulterated fats and uh, <clears throat> you don't want those foods at all, processed foods. So, uh, but even eating those foods, if you're time-restricted eating, you're going to improve your health. I mean, they've done that with, in animal models. I mean, they give them the standard rat chow, which is equivalent to the standard American diet. Uh, and you know, these the people, the rats are eating all day long are obese and de have degenerative diseases. And the ones are the ones that are eating in a restricted window are healthy, even with the same food. So it's, you get better results if you optimize both, both components, but you still get good results with time restricted eating. So it's a crazy tool. It doesn't cost you anything, probably saves you money. It certainly saves you money, not only the short time, because you're probably going to eat less calories. You don't have to. Can eat the same amount of calories and maybe even more, but you'll get the metabolic benefits. And what will it be? It'll make you metabolically flexible so that you'll have the ability to transition seamlessly between burning fat as a fuel and glucose. And most people have essentially lost their mass, their major ability to metabolize fat as a primary fuel, and they wind up storing it instead of using it which is tragic because that's a, a primary reason that contributes to chronic degenerative diseases. Yeah. A couple of comments I'd like to share in regard to this one. I had a lot of experience with time-restricted eating because I was a competitive boxer. <laughs> so to keep my weight down, I had to be very, very careful. And there was long periods without food because I could practically smell food and gain weight when I was getting ready for a fight. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that are young enough and frisky enough to get into a boxing club or any any sport where there's weight classes, you'll probably find you're, you're engaging time-restricted eating uh, if you just apply the time concept, but it'll, it'll, it's, it helps motivate you to uh, apply the concept. Um, have you ever seen the documentary, Dr. Mercola, called The Science of Fasting? I did. I think, no, it wasn't. I've got a friend, Doug Orchard, who's... I don't know if he did that interview or did that documentary. He may have. It's an excellent documentary. And the reason I brought it up is because it really helps people understand the concept of time restricted eating, calorie restriction, and the health benefits of it. And, and I think it's a very well done documentary. Yeah, I think for most people though, because I've played with fasting, I've done a lot of fasting before, but I think for many people, it's just too extreme and you don't necessarily need to do that. And you can get many of the main benefits 
just by doing time-restricted eating. One of the benefits I didn't mention is autophagy, which is an, a Greek word for meaning self-eating. So it uh, repairs and recycles your damaged intracellular parts and organelles and, and helps get rid of them. So it's a good... I do a practice called mini-fasting. Mm-hmm. And what I, I call it mini fasting. And basically what I do is typically on a Saturday, that's the most common day I do it because it, uh, I don't have to work. So I don't have to have a mental load or whatever. If, when, when I take Saturdays off, I do it on a day off. Mm-hmm. But basically what I do is I just don't eat breakfast or lunch and I fast until dinner time. And then I eat dinner. But I find that when I give myself just uh, a, a, the day without breakfast and lunch, it really has a, a beautiful invigorating effect. I just feel like there's definite benefits and then you don't have to have kind of the stresses of, of longer term fasting. And so for those out there that haven't tried that, I, I really think it's worth trying because it's not hard to do. And I find I feel noticeably better. I find by the time late afternoon comes, I notice increased mental clarity, increased energy. I find uh, things like my training recovery is enhanced relative to when I don't do it. So I, I think just basically what it boils down to is giving your glands and your organs a break for enough time that they yeah. actually get a little rest and you can kind of clear, you can clear things out of your system. I think what you're describing is called also called OMAD or one meal a day. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I haven't heard that yeah. thing. So. The other thing I wanted to, to bring up when it comes to time restricted eating is whenever you're going to go through through, uh, you know, more than a four hour window without eating for a lot of people. Um, I think a, because you have to have awareness of what your body's metabolic needs are. You can't be stuck on some rigid diet regimen because for example, if someone's eating more carbohydrate relative to flesh foods and is ideal for them, it's going to throw their blood sugar all over the place. And they're much more likely to not be able to follow the time restricted eating because their cravings are going to be so intense. Mm-hmm. And, and so then breathing, if, a, uh, you know, I, I, in my 36 years of being a therapist, I've evaluated the breathing patterns of thousands and thousands of people. And I've never seen anybody, even people that have gone to long weekend, 10 day, uh, 10 day breathing workshops where they've actually learned how to normalize their breathing pattern. So you get, for example, people who don't have any expansion of the abdominal wall or what I call an inverted breathing pattern, which relates to typically to a history of emotional trauma or childhood abuse and things like that, where when they inhale, they actually tighten their abdominal muscles so that the the diaphragm not only can't drop down, but the whole abdominal wall is, is restricted, which is typically a psychological reaction to a threat. Like if someone's about to punch you, you'll tighten up. Um, so uh, because if your breathing isn't efficient, you, you basically are losing so much prana and so much life force energy. I find people constantly having to run for quick foods, sweet stuff, and the kind of stuff that feeds parasite and fungal infections. So basically learning to breathe properly and practicing that I think is important. And of course, then there's, um, if you're not getting enough sleep, your blood sugar is much less likely to be stable and it's going to be a lot harder. If you couple lack of sleep, with uh, eating incorrectly for your metabolic needs and a breathing pattern disorder, you're going to have a very hard time applying time-restricted eating in my observation of, of these types of issues. Well, it, initially, I, th- I would think that would be true. But eventually, once you develop metabolic flexibility, 
then it becomes easier because the reason that people are having these challenges, in addition to the variables you mentioned, is that they cannot access their fat stores. So they, they you can only store a limited amount of carbohydrates as glycogen in your muscle or liver, primarily your liver, because yeah. you can't really metabolize liver muscle glycogen for fuel in your tissues. It doesn't work that way. It has to come from the liver. So we either have yeah. liver stores or you have to make it. And you exhaust those stores pretty quickly after 12 hours or so. And uh, when your blood sugar drops low, and if you don't, if you've lost the ability to easily switch over to fat, then you're going to be miserable. You will absolutely be miserable. You will, will not have access to energy. You have to have the energy. So it's, it's, it requires a transition phase of either a few days to a few weeks to a few months in some people if they're metabolically injured. But once you make the transition, it's a non-issue. You don't have any of the symptoms you mentioned. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no loss of energy. There's, you don't even notice you're transitioning. Which is that's good. It's just a miracle. There's there is no there are no cravings. There's no lack of energy. It's just it's miraculous. It's crazy. That's that's great. Um, oh, I had a question that I was going to throw in there, but it slipped my mind. So the next thing that you wanted to talk about was NAD and why that's so important to your health. You want to expand on that? Yeah, yeah. NAD is a is a biological molecule that really is very important for people it's it's typically we've known about it for a long time uh like since 1904 was discovered by sir arthur hardin and it was uh typically uh recognized for its role in creation of energy in the mitochondria but in the late 90s a geneticist from harvard david sinclair uh he was at mit at the time under found out that it was also useful for powering longevity proteins that are called sirtuins that are really important for increasing your lifespan. And when your NAD levels go down, they don't work well, if at all, because they require that for fuel. And the other component is that NAD is also a fuel for another important enzyme in your body called PARP, which is short for polyADP ribose polymerase. And PARP is necessary to uh, facilitate the damage repair process for DNA once it's injured and you get injured from exposures to ionizing radiation, but also non-ionizing radiation, like your cell phone and your uh, Wi-Fi router. So that's why the book is so important to understand these because you want to limit your exposure because one of the ways you can e increase NAD is just simply lowering the consumption of NAD by consuming it because you're having to repair your DNA continuously. So that's a simple right. strategy. It doesn't cost you anything because NAD precursors are now available. Things like uh, nicotinamide riboside, nicotinamide mononucleotide, which is NR and NMN. Uh, even NAD itself is a molecule. But these are kind of pricey. They're, they're frequently are $100 or more a month. Uh, and uh, NAD IVs can cost $1,000 for an IV. So you can do these other strategies for free. So limit your exposure to EMF. You can exercise. And you can do time-restricted eating, both of which increase the enzyme called NAMPT, which is the rate-limiting enzyme for the salvage pathway to, to reconstitute NAD from its breakdown products and make it up in your body. So you do those things, time-restricted eating, uh, exercises you're a big advocate of, and I'm not going to go into details here. There's a lot. We could talk for two hours on exercise easily, and then even then, uh, miss so much, uh, but you know, those are strategies that you, you're not as going to make you healthier, but increase your NAD levels. What does NAD stand for, for the listeners? It's uh, short for nicotinamide adenide dinucleotide, NAD. 
And what are natural sources of that? Well, uh, the precursors for that, there's several. One would be niacin or vitamin B3, <clears throat> which is converted through a th series of metabolic steps to niacinamide, which is sort of the base structure. Uh, there are other precursors like nicotinamide riboside, which is actually present in breast milk and uh, th that can be converted. And then there's an amino acid tryptophan that uh, mm -hmm. your body can uh, convert through a pathway, although it doesn't make much. It takes like 70 milligrams of tryptophan to make one milligram of NAD. And you need like nine grams or 9,000 milligrams a day. So it's not a very efficient way to make it. The, the most efficient way is to reconvert the uh, breakdown product of NAD, which is nicotinamide, uh, back to NAD through this pa salvage pathway by the, the, the recommendation mentioned, which is to exercise and, and time-restricted eating, or even fasting would do it too, but time-restricted eating is just a lot simpler. So my, my question I'm trying to drive at here is, are there dietary sources that in, in a person's diet that if they're not getting enough of could lead to problems with NAD or yeah, there's things that we but typically not in the regular American diet. It's just, a, as I mentioned, it's just niacin. And in fact, uh, uh -huh. because of processed foods in the early 20th century, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you've heard of pellagra. Uh, no. Pellagra is a vitamin B3 deficiency that can result in death. It has four Ds, uh, dermatitis, diarrhea, dementia, and then death. Uh, and there was a lot of people, you can look it up, just type in pellagra and a lot of people who died from this, uh, because they were eating processed grains and stuff and they didn't have enough niacin. So okay. they said it was a niacin deficiency, but the reality was it was an NAD deficiency. These people died because they didn't have NAD. They could have easily given them NAD itself or NAD precursors, not niacin, and they would, that would have saved their life too. But ultimately you just have to get enough niacin. You don't need tons of it. You don't need like 25, 50 milligrams a day. And most, you don't necessarily need to take a supplement. Uh, if you're having any type of balanced food, you're going to get that much niacin. And, and if you don't know, if you're getting enough, you can use a nutrient tracker like chronometer, C-R-O-N-O-M-E-T-R.com, which is free online. And you can just type in your food and it'll, it'll tell you how much niacin you're getting in your food and all your other nutrients too. So, uh, Really, the bottom line is if you're eating an organic whole food diet, yeah, then you probably won't have a problem in this regard. Absolutely. And let me just see. Yeah, like I'm looking at my my diet for today uh, that I ate. I had 20 milligrams of niacin, which is, I, I guess, the RDA is is like maybe 15 or 20 milligrams because I was 120 percent. That's with no supplements. 120. Yeah. Yeah, the one of the problem with all those tracking devices is that they're all based on an assumption that all foods have the same levels of nutrients in it, which is a very dangerous assumption. Yeah, yeah. No, and then even worse than that, uh, like uh, I'm thinking, confusing it with Fitbit. Actually, I did forgot to mention Fitbit with Google. Fitbit is another tracking device that Google purchased for almost three billion dollars late last year. This it's also tracking you, but uh, there is another nutrient tracker I used to use, and I forgot the name right now, but anyway, it's a common one and they use crowdsourced data. So you or I, or anyone can put in a food, name it, and then, and then put the, the nutrients as data in there. And it's not validated. It could be anything. It could be mishmash data. So it's not, it's even worse than that. 
So when you, yeah. so the chronometer uses reference data, but, but it is correct. There is a wide variety in the nutrient densities of different foods and the qualities of foods and where they're grown, but it at least gets you in the ballpark and it'll know if you're really far off or, or not. So I think it's, it's pretty close and reliable. It's helped me a lot figuring out things like uh, omega-6 to omega-3 ratios, zinc to copper, uh, calcium levels, things like that. Certainly, certainly calories. Uh, how much saturated fat you have and monos and, and omega sixes. So, well, we've had a great discussion. We've covered a lot of really interesting and important concepts today. I'm very grateful that you uh, shared your time with all of us, Dr. Mercola. Is there uh, a specific website? It was great that you have the uh, book on EMFs coming out. Uh, is there a specific place to get that or where would you like to direct people uh or, or is it just your favorite place to send them, Mercola.com? Um, well, you can go to emf.mercola.com and you can download the free uh, chapter there on how to remediate against EMF. And there's like 25 pages and really enlighten you as to what you can do and, and help quite a bit for that. And uh, that will subscribe you to my website too, where you can get you know their daily newsletter that has loads of free information, like two, two articles or so a day that really enlightens you as was exactly what's going on, the current threats, you know, coronavirus and uh, what you can do and things like sepsis and simple strategies you can take to protect yourself from, from uh, monopoly threats like Google. Yeah, great. And anything else that you'd like to share or direct people to before we close? Well, one of one, uh, my favorite supplement just briefly, is molecular hydrogen, which is a gas, and it's a powerful upregulator of a pathway called NRF2, which uh, <clears throat> is a basically a selective antioxidant uh, that causes your body to make its own antioxidants, things like catalase and glutathione and superoxide dismutase and about hundreds of other antioxidants when they're needed. So a lot of people take antioxidants like vitamin C or vitamin E and think, oh, this is great because I'm, you know, have that oxidative stress. Well, that could be highly counterproductive because your body has beneficial free radicals like nitric oxide. And if you take high doses of antioxidants indiscriminately, it could interfere with this production and these interfere with these important biological signaling molecules. So it's far better to have your body, let your body do the judgment. And that's what molecular hydrogen does. It only activates this NRF2 pathway if there's excessive oxidative stress. So there's a feedback loop involved and you don't uh, unnecessarily suppress beneficial free radicals. So really powerful to protect against damage from things like uh, excessive oxidative stress from uh, EMFs. So it's a... It's what, what's the name of it again? Molecular hydrogen. And where do you get it? Well, we've got it on our site. Uh, it is a tablet. There's a number of different ways you can get it. It's a gas. You can breathe it in, but that's a really inconvenient, kind of expensive. But there's tablets that uh, are, have essentially metallic magnesium that when they're put into a uh, glass of water and, and they create these nanobubbles that have the pressure that allows high concentrations of molecular hydrogen gas to go in that you have to consume with it. But with as soon as the tablet dissolves, it takes about 90 seconds to two minutes or so. Uh, and that will not only give you molecular hydrogen and stimulate the NRF2 pathway and these endogenous antioxidants, but also give you for every tablet, like 90 milligrams of ionic elemental magnesium, which is real, almost everyone is deficient in. So it's an extraordinary uh, useful uh, supplement for magnesium. 
which also interestingly helps for EMF because uh, there's some speculation that um, activating calcium channels is partially responsible for some of the damage that it does. And magnesium, we know, is a natural calcium channel blocker. So it's, a, it's like a win-win with, with molecular hydrogen tablets. How much is a bottle of it and how many, how, how long very, does it last? It's not very expensive. Uh, it depends on what you use it. You know, I like to use it when I travel. <clears throat> so you typically only have to, you don't use this like every hour. You just, I use it like once a day. I typically take uh -huh. two tablets as soon as I get up. It's like, it takes like a half hour to work. So if you're going to be going in, you, you use it for, I use it also for hyperbaric oxygen chambers where there's some oxidative stress. So half hour before you go in the chamber or half hour before you work out, uh, or you have this exposure or when you're probably using it more frequently when you're flying, because there you have not only have a non-ionizing Wi-Fi radiation, but you also have ionizing radiation from the gamma rays at 35,000 feet. So, right. uh, you know, it's a really useful tool. Ben takes it. I mean, he definitely takes it all the time. He takes it like every two hours when he's flying. I think it's a good strategy. I, and I, and so that takes like two, two every, every two hours, I think. How much did you say it is a bottle? Uh, it's under fifty dollars. Might be thirty. I don't know. I I just uh, so if you take two, it yeah, it might. It's it's it's. I can look it up. I just I just don't. Know. I was just curious, just so people listening could know what the investment would be. Yeah, it's not terribly expensive. Uh, and uh, molecular hydrogen. I'll just I'll find out in a moment. Let's see. But uh, it is my absolute favorite supplement. Uh, I just think it it because it's just it's just tough. Okay, a 30 day supply, which would be one bottle. This is what, how much? Let's see. I was pulling it up. Okay, here it is. Okay, now where is molecular hydrogen? Why didn't it come? Oh, here it is. Oh, it's uh, $20. Oh, that's not bad. And how, how many caps in a bottle? 30. Yeah. Okay, so you know, two a day. It's yeah, two. Well, it's you can do one a day. I mean, you don't necessarily need two. I do two, uh, and then you get a yeah. ninety-day bottle for fifty, which is ninety pills. So it's like the price goes down. That's pretty reasonable. It's worth yeah. testing. Not, I'll buy not, a bottle and see how not, I feel on it's it. It's not terribly expensive, and uh, it's just phenomenal. And you may want to interview uh, as a guest Tyler the Baron, who's really an athletic stud. Uh, ben has interviewed him before. He's, he's the director of the Molecular, Hy uh, Molecular Hydrogen Institute. And okay. really a wealth of information. He's getting his PhD in molecular hydrogen and uh, really a profoundly literate molecular biologist and understands the, and a great chemist, a biochemist too. So uh, he can discuss the pathways in great detail and with great precision and accuracy. So uh, I, I I just interviewed him a few weeks ago again, and uh, just I've, I've known him for six or seven years. This is a guy who is like early thirties, Paul. He can do uh, deadlift, I think 400, 450 pounds, and which is not necessarily impressive. I know you know people who can de double deadlift, but he can do a two. He can do a two seventeen. You're talking marathon. to a guy that's almost sixty that can deadlift that much. I'm sorry. I said, I'm almost 60 and I can deadlift that much. I know, but he can run a 217 marathon. Well, if I was getting paid to run marathons, I'd do that too. But it's, it's good to know that he's healthy and fit. Yeah. I think that's the most important. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, trying to impress someone with physical characteristics is probably a mistake talking to Paul Check. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, 
you know, it's all good. I'm just glad he's healthy yeah. and he's living, you know, holistically or at oh, least, he is. He, you know, fitness is, is important. Yeah. I just don't know many people who are healthier than he is. So, and, he, and he's really That's smart, cool. really smart. We love it. We need healthy, smart people. Lots of them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And, and fortunately, Ben Greenfield has kids. So we know there's, there's a couple more and I got some kids that'll be out there yes, doing God. their, doing their part. And all Czech professionals are out there too. And they're, they're, you know, really into it, man. There's no, I, almost 15,000 of them. Thank you so much for creating that educational intervention to have coaches out there to understand the truth that can really teach people because that's what we need people in the trenches. I'm not in the trenches anymore, uh, but we need people out there and you've done a great service by facilitating that, that resource. Thank you. Where are you located now? I'm in Florida. Uh, you know, okay. You know, I pretty much get the chance to walk on the beach almost every day with just shorts and in, in the ocean, I'm grounding. And, you know, most of the time, well, in the, certainly the late spring uh, up until December. So I'm in the ocean every day. So awesome. Weren't you in Chicago years ago? Used to be. Yeah. Cause I remember having a chat with you at some point and you and your girlfriend at the time. Um, and you were in Chicago then, but at least you're getting some sun and yeah. A lot of. I'm glad you're staying healthy. We need to keep you healthy for a while, man. We got work to do. I know, lots of it. So yeah, I've I haven't hit Act Two yet, so I'm getting ready for Act Two. All right. Well, hey, it's been a very interesting conversation. I always know that talking to you is going to open up uh, many books and concepts and inroads and opportunities for discussion. So. I look forward to uh, whenever we can make it work and, and we have something to share. I'll, I'll love to have you back on the podcast right. with me. Well, thanks, Paul. Good being with you. Okay. Thank you very much, Dr. McCullough, and, and blessings for all the great work you're doing. All right. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Dr. Joseph McCullough. You can visit his website at com, and it's filled with articles, videos, recipes, recommended products, and much more. Grab your copy of Dr. McCullough's latest book, EMF, at emf.mccullough.com. You can also get a free report on blood flow restriction training at bfr.mccullough.com. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. You can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and at the Czech Institute's new streaming media site, chikiva.com.